Good morning. Everyone excited for Christmas yet? A little bit excited? Feeling, feeling uh, a little bit hectic or, or busy yet? Because I find this time of year I get to do so much more and I'm like, how come can I not do this the rest of the year? So this week we're starting a new series called All I Want for Christmas. Now if you had a Christmas list, think with me for a second, what is on your Christmas list right now? Can someone, can someone tell me what's on their Christmas list, what they want? Because we're talking adults in here. It's not a Red Ryder BB gun, right? Okay, so what, what exactly do you want this Christmas? Tell me. Come on. It's not rhetorical. Good health. Okay. What's something else? Peace. You guys are sounding like people in a beauty competition at this point. We, I, I'm talking about physical possessions here. I love those. Those are actually the best answers possible. But what's something you want? Boots. Okay, Bill wants boots. What? A blender. Wow, that's very practical. Legos. Okay, Legos. I'm, I'm on board with that. Okay, what else? What, what's something else? New, wait, new four iron? Okay, <laughs> all right. Anything else? I mean, come on. There's not a guy in here that doesn't want like a TV or something or, or a new car. I mean, if we're honest, everyone wants a new car, right? Speedboat. Okay. All right. Mark, she wants a new speedboat. Watch out. Okay. So this morning, we are going to talk about all we want for Christmas. And so those, are the, the, those answers were kind of pretty spread, right? Everyone has a different list. So as we go into the passage, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what's been on the top gifting list for the last 10 years. And you're going to laugh a little bit with me, okay? So let me pray, and then we'll get into the passage, which is Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. If you're watching with us online, you have our app. You can look at the, the notes if you click the link at the top of the feed in our, uh, in our app. So let me pray. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and every Christmas we give gifts, or we get gifts, one or the other, or both. God, this Christmas, allow us to be so focused on the gifts you've given us. The ones that we can freely give because you've freely given them to us. God, help us to see the magnitude, the, the, the great amount of, of grace you've given in our lives. And help us to give those same gifts that you've given us to others whether it be through our words or our actions. But God, let us also realize the gift you've given us and the reasons why people need to hear and see and feel and know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We say all this in his name. Amen. Okay. So really think another second. So only about 10 of you answer that question. So really think with me for a second. What do you want for Christmas? Okay, think about that. What's at the top of your list? Everyone makes a list. I don't really make a list. I just go on Amazon, okay? And I just click, okay, it's telling me what to do, the algorithm, right? I'm kidding. I don't do that because then I'd end up with blenders and I'd end up with a vacuum and I don't want either. 
If you look at the most popular gifts of the last 10 years, the list is an interesting mix. One is an iPhone, right? iPhone, name the model, an iPhone is one of the top gifts of the last 10 years. Another one, fidget spinner. Anyone remember those? They're still kind of in. You got the fidget spinner and you fidget spinner. Um, this is one of my favorites. Lego Star Wars Millennium Falcon was actually one of the number one gifts of the last 10 years. PlayStation, name the model. Okay, so PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, uh, PlayStation. Here's where it gets really funny. Furby. Anyone remember Furbies? Oh, that passed really quick. Everyone wanted a Furby before Christmas, and we had to find a Furby. Bop It Beats. I couldn't believe that was in the top, top five one year. Bop It Beats. You know the Bop It thing that makes lots of noise, and every parent wanted to throw in the garbage can right away? That. Hatchimals. You guys ever heard of Hatchimals? Oh, that's a whole nother. You don't want to get into it if you've never heard of it, okay? Hatchimals. Another one. Fingerlings. I don't even know what that is. I had to look it up. So, yeah, these finger things. That they're like little like finger puppety things. Xbox One. That was another one. Pie Face. You ever play the Pie Face game? Oh, Pie Face. People actually, that was in people's top five lists, like mentioned on social media all over the world. Pie Face. I can't even believe that when I saw that. That was blowing my mind. Nintendo Switch. Okay, that makes some sense. Okay, all right. You don't even want to know some of the gifts I didn't put on the list. I mean, there's a few. There's like every two years there's an Elmo gift. They just keep changing what it is. So it started all with, with uh, there's like Let's Rock Elmo. There's, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of Elmos. What I don't understand is how does that make it into the top five gifts in the world? Okay, Elmo. Whew. So some of those gifts probably got you laughing. Some of them got you laughing because they're outdated. Okay, so you know Chia Pet in the 90s was like a number one gift? Chia Pet. Where do you see those things now? In the trash. I love that answer. Today, today's a call and response. You guys have to give me answers all day. So, so one of the things that we want for Christmas is maybe a toy like these, some tools, or maybe even some socks. I had a conversation with people the other day. I was like, if I had new socks every day for the rest of my life, oh, that'd be the greatest gift. I love socks. We have an endless desire for more, but none of that will make us free. And you know what? You know what I love about the first two answers I got earlier? Those are literally the answers I was going to give you because those are the things that matter the most. One, all we need for Christmas is healthy relationships, time with family, peace with God. We need our health. We need peace. But yet, we put things like Hatchimals and Furby on our Christmas list, which blows my mind. I don't even... Does anyone ever bought a Furby? Is anyone in here that's bought a Furby? Yes. Oh, oh, I saw... I, here's what the thing is. No one went like this when they said they bought a Furby. They went like this. So no one else could see, just me. You see? What God, gifts did God give us on Christmas? It all starts with the position we were in and when God showed up. So what gifts did God give us on Christmas? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and I'm going to read the first few verses. And as we read the first few verses, you have to remember, Paul is talking to the church. So we can't forget that this is for us, from God, 
It's his message to us. Where it says, starting in verse 1, And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, and among whom we once all, all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I read that, and the first thing I thought of was that, that Paul, who wrote this to the uh, church in Ephesus, is saying we're dead. Now, what does that mean? That means we're, we're disconnected from this, or, and completely separate from the spark of life. We have nothing in us that can initiate life. And sin creates death everywhere it is. It says sin and trespasses means not just missing the mark, which is what sin means. It means slipping and falling away, which is what trespasses means. This death is, is more horrifying than physical death. It's, it's spiritual, eternal death. And it's a loss of possible relationship with God the Father, the Creator God. And it's a description of a present condition. It's, it's what we are in this moment. And it's a hopeless existence. So when I look at the psalmist, when he says in, in it's Psalm 36, 1 through 2, he exposes the depths of this sin. When it says, transgressions, transgression speaks to the wicked, deep in his heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity, that's sin right there, cannot be found out and hated. So the, we all once were self-deceived. It's not just that we're sinning, and, and it's that we are not convicted of the need for change. And if we're dead and we're corpses, I mean, you can put hair and lipstick on a corpse, but it's still a corpse. I've heard that said before. It's just, there's, there's nothing changing that it's a corpse. So how did we get this way? Verse 1, it tells us, how did we get this way? And verse 2 and 3 tells us we are being held captive by three oppressors. There's three oppressors there. There's three prison guards in the prison of sin and trespass. First is the world. It says following the course of this world. That's the first trespass, that's the first prison guard. It's an external cultural oppressor. This means we're captive to the ways of the world. It means there's evil systems that hold us captive to sin. And there's two worldviews that present this. There's actually many more, but these are two of the major ones. First, there's the traditional worldview, which is all about social hierarchy, family responsibility, and good works. Sounds great, right? But you don't hear about Jesus anywhere in there. Second, there's the emergent worldview, which is about personal autonomy. Let me explain what that means. It means we claim freedom to choose our own spiritual outlook and objects of worship. So it's just as dangerous as that first traditional worldview, and it leads to a narcissistic, pluralistic worldview. Basically, love yourself, choose your own way to God, and in the things that are worshipped in your worldview, you can just choose whatever you want. But these worldviews are alien to God's worldview. And hold anyone with them captive. 
We'll see in this passage, Jesus breaks us free from the oppression of either of these worldviews. And then second we have, second prison guard is the devil. He's, he's pacing like I am. He's just pacing, waiting to pounce. It says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And in Jewish thinking, the devil exists in the air, the space between heaven and earth, and he's been an oppressor since the Garden of Eden. When we're held captive, we want the lies of the devil to be true so we can continue to sin. Let me say that again. When we're captive, we want the lies of the devil to be true so we can continue to sin. But only Jesus can deliver us from this captivity. Our friends and family this Christmas that are not following Jesus can only be delivered as we once were. We need to be humble in how we approach them. Because these first three verses do describe the plight of every single one of us in this room at some point in our lives. Third, the third prison guard, the flesh. It says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. This means not just our physical body, it's our nature. It's, it's what is natural to us. And it's the trifecta of captivity. It's, you might say it's the unholy trinity. The world, the devil, and the flesh. In the flesh, we blame our genetics. Well, my dad was an alcoholic. Well, my mom was an alcoholic. My, my, my cousin was an addict. Our upbringing, maybe. My parents were terrible. They always disciplined me the way that they wanted to. Or financial means. I've never had a leg up like so-and-so because I don't have what they have. We blame everything around us, but in reality, the sin when it's exposed, is just what's natural to us. So we all once were captive to sin. And those without Jesus are dominated by the world from outside them, the, de- the flesh within them, and then the devil beyond them. Which is why at the end of verse 3, it makes a lot of sense when Paul says very shortly and says, and we were na- by nature, that's everything that we do, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is the message for each of us this morning. As we go into Christmas, it's, it's not a surprise that captives to the world, the devil and the flesh, are children of wrath. When sin is your nature, then you're dead. You're dead. You cannot help yourself. Only Jesus can breathe life into us. And God stepped in for us. When we were a corpse... He went over us and breathed life into us. We were all dead until the gift of God, Jesus Christ, made us alive. That's the message you can tell everyone this Christmas. We were all dead until the gift of God, Jesus Christ, made us alive. So what happens next? What happens next here? There's there's a profound moment. This is one of the biggest pivots in all of Scripture. In verse 4, I'm going to read through verse 7 here. In verse 4 it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us, Christ Jesus. There's really four key words in this part of the passage. Four words that I want you to be able to focus on as you look at these verses. Each one reveals the character of God. This is the person, this is the being, this is the creator God, the father God that has made us. And this is what it says about him. Love, in verse 4, shows us God's commitment to give each of us the spark of life through Christ Jesus. Mercy, in verse 4, shows us God's commitment to withhold punishment that we definitely deserve because Jesus paid it on the cross and was victorious in the resurrection. Grace in verse 5 and verse 7 shows us God's commitment to generously giving us what we need through Jesus' obedience to the point of death on the cross. And then kindness. Kindness in verse 7. Shows us God's commitment to compassion on us corpses, the dead, by taking human form in our place on the cross. Wow. That's a lot. But there's even more. There's three stages to God's mercy. Giving us not what we deserve, but what he is granting us. Verse 5 says, God made us alive through faith in Jesus. We share the resurrection power of Jesus. 1 Peter 1.23 tells us, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, long story short, you're now eternal. It's not perishable. Through the living and abiding word of God, While we were in the valley of death, imagine those first three verses. If we stopped at the end of those first three verses and we walked out of here, a lot of us would be pretty sad. Think about it. But then God shows up, and here's what happens. When we were in the valley of death, God made us alive through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first step of mercy. There's a second step. Verse 6. It says, God raised us up. So one, he made us alive. We're still laying on the ground. We're we're dead, and now we're alive. And then he raised us up. He helped us up because Jesus is our representative. That is, we have been accepted into heaven where Jesus was raised. But that's not even the best part. Verse 6 says, God seated us with him in the heavenly places. Many of us have been to a wedding. And when you go to a wedding, there's table assignments. They have your name on a table, or they have a name somewhere that you take to the table, and it shows you where you need to go. Like table assignments at a wedding, we have reserved seats in heaven. He's sitting and saving our seats in heaven. That's what Jesus has done for you. God has taken us from hell to heaven, captivity to freedom, darkness to light, Despair to hope, wrath to glory, death to life. So instead of being citizens of hell, we are presently, now, citizens of heaven as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's the ultimate kindness. I don't know how God could be any kinder than that. 
Which is, which is why when we were all dead until the gift of God, Jesus Christ made us alive. We were all dead. There's not one of you here that at some point in your life was not dead in your sin. And there's not, there's not one human being on this planet that at some point was dead in their sin. And that should motivate us as we pursue Jesus to share with other people the hope that we have found. But wait, there's more. That's not even the end. The best part is to come. Verse 8. Let's read in verse 8. This is what's so exciting. Starting in verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Kent Hughes, uh, the former pastor of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois, once told a story that was from the Middle East. I think it's important to, to think on this. A man was traveling with his donkey when he came upon a small fuzzy object lying in the road, just lying there. He dismounted, he got off the donkey and looked more closely and found a sparrow lying on his back with his legs upward, with his scrawny legs thrust upward. At first he thought the bird was dead, right, as many of us would. But close investigation proved out, proved that he was very much alive. And the man asked the sparrow if he was all right, and the sparrow said, yes, I'm all right. And the man said, what are you doing lying on your back with your legs pointed towards the sky? And the sparrow responded that he'd heard a rumor that the sky was falling, so he was holding his legs up to support it. It's also, if you might know, that's the plot of Chicken Little, if you've ever seen it. So. And the man replied, Surely you don't think you're going to hold it up with those two scrawny legs, do you? And the sparrow with a very solemn look retorted, One does the best they can. We're not saved as the result of our good deeds. How religious we are, or how much we do ministry. Or if you volunteer at church, or you preach on Sunday morning, we're not saved because of that. Because if we are saved because of that, we have a religion just like the sparrow. And it goes something like this. We say things to ourselves like this. We're, I'm not a good person. I mean, I, I am, I guess. I am, but I'm not perfect. But I'm better than most. God knows I'm trying my best. If we think that, like this, our salvation is by works. We become like the Pharisees of Jesus' time. And we pray things like this. This is directly from Scripture. This, this prayer. God, I thank you I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. That's what the Pharisees prayed, and that's what we tend to think like when we think we are good. We just boast in ourselves. We, we even communicate, in how we communicate with God, we boast in ourselves. And we look as foolish as the sparrow trying to hold up the sky. Our weak works are like the scrawny legs of a sparrow trying to hold up the sky. No one who is truly following Jesus has room to boast in themselves for their salvation. Why is salvation not from works? Maybe you came in this morning and thought, I do lots of good things and God wants me to do that. that yes, that's true. 
but your salvation is not from works. Because God is radically righteous. Do you know where the word radical comes from? It actually comes from the word root. I never knew that. It's pretty amazing. From the root of who God is, in all he is in his character, he is righteous. And from the root of who we are, we are sinful. He's radically righteous, we're radically sinful. Our best works are still tainted by sin. No matter how good we are, the distance between God's radical righteousness and our radical sin is impossible to cross on our own. Imagine this. What if we told our friends, you're a great person, but I don't believe anything you say. You're a great person. I don't believe anything you say. That's sometimes how we treat God. We say things like this. We say, God, I think you're great. I believe Jesus is real, but I don't think you're telling the truth. Because I can work my way to heaven. I can do it. But Matthew 5.3 tells us otherwise. When it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we paraphrase this, it's blessed are those who they, they have nothing inside of themselves to get to heaven, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Their spirit is so poor in themselves, realizing I can't do anything, it's all Jesus. So we were all dead until the gift of God, Jesus, made us alive. That's the gift this Christmas. Jesus was the gift. That's why we celebrate. Forget the fact that everything in our culture says we have to shop on certain days. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Giving Tuesday. I mean, that's the gift. So if it's not by works, what does verse 8 tell us? Verse 8 and 9 are the clearest explanation of the gospel you're going to find in all of scripture. It's by grace. Grace is unmerited favor, undeserved favor, and this results in the love of God to those that do not deserve it. Amen. You're right. Let's read the ver verse 8 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. And this is the core of the good news of Jesus Christ. We've been given a free gift that we cannot earn on our own, only through Jesus. In Romans 11.6, it tells us, But if it is by grace, again, by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Super clear. The free gift, free gift. When you hear free gift, are you a little afraid? You ever watch infomercials? Well, you can get a free gift with shipping and handling. And then the shipping and handling is like more than the cost of the gift, like if you bought it in the store. That's kind of crazy. There's always strings attached. Well, it's, it's a free trial, but then we're going to start charging your credit card after seven days. You ever notice that? It's so annoying. It's not a free trial. They're just giving you seven days to get hooked. There is no free gift if you don't pay shipping and handling. There's, there's no trade. It, 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 the, the, right now, it, it's free. This gift is literally free. There's no shipping charges. There's nothing. It's all Jesus. He's already paid it. He's already paid your shipping and handling to heaven. It's done. It's all done. But here's the thing is, free, free sometimes means it doesn't have value. 
You ever get something that someone gave you and you realize it's broken? It doesn't, it's, it doesn't work, so you're like, no wonder they gave it to me for free. This is not a gift without value because the price was paid on the cross. A gift that has so much value, you couldn't have paid the price. So it was paid for you. So we need to humble ourselves enough to receive grace by admitting we cannot save ourselves. So there's three things we need to believe and have faith in to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not by works. That's what this tells us here. Salvation is only by grace. And salvation is through faith. God honors belief more than any single quality in Scripture. That is why it's through faith. Let me share with you from a couple verses from the New Testament. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. John chapter 1 verse 12 tells us, But, did all, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You notice the transformation there? We once were children of wrath, now we're children of God. There's a change. That's a gift. That's a huge gift. To state in the simplest terms, true faith is belief plus trust. True faith is belief plus trust. So what have we been through in this passage? We've been through the, the amazing depths of verses 1 through 3. And the amazing heights of verses 4 through 7, where we've been brought up into the right hand of God, sitting with Jesus at, at the, the wedding feast, you might say. And then amazing grace in verses 8 and 9. So what is verse 10 about? Amazing work. We're God's masterpiece. We're a work of art. That word workmanship actually means poem, means art, means masterpiece. Everything came into being because of God. Everything. Psalm 19.1 tells us, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's God's universe. You just live in it. Even the universe is amazing and is God's handiwork. It is not his masterpiece. We are. Does it make you feel special? That's what it says here in verse 10. Consider a newborn baby. I've had the joy of seeing four of my children right after they were born, actually being in the room when they were born. And there's a few things that happen. If you haven't seen that, someday I hope every single one of us gets the opportunity to see new life. Eyes open, mouth open, arms reaching for life. And screaming, crying, blood-curling screams, which, by the way, is good. I, you have to talk to the doctor about that, but they're like, yeah, that means their lungs are working. I'm like, great, it sounds scary. So as a parent, you do want to hear your kids cry. The baby is a physical, physical wonder. The moment it's born, its mind is a computer recording everything it experiences. Everything outside of the womb. Its eyes are passing large amounts of data. First through the cornea, then to the lens, then to the retina. 
stimulating, get this, 125 million nerve endings at the same time. At this point, this data is processed by millions of nano switches, then funneled down the optic nerve, which contains one million separate insulated fibers. And then the data reaches the brain and an equally complex process starts to interpret the data. And in case you weren't in awe of that process, it takes less than a millisecond. Wow. We're God's masterpiece. Just like that, the same process happens with the ears. As the baby hears vibrations, and then it processes the data and does the same process that I just described, to the nth degree, it goes to the brain and starts all over again. In Genesis 1.27, it tells us, God made man in his own image. We are his masterpiece the ultimate masterpiece in all of this is that God takes us, that, that we are dead to sin. He takes us that we're dead to sin and he makes us alive in Jesus Christ. That's the masterpiece at the end. That's the light at the end of the tunnel. Whatever metaphor or way you want to say it, that is what matters. Because we were all dead until the gift of God. Jesus Christ made us alive. And if you celebrate anything this Christmas, this is what we need to celebrate. I'm so thankful for that gift. I, I, I don't need anything this Christmas. We all want things. But what God tells us in this passage is we need Jesus. And if anything, I'm not planning on going to heaven alone. So we need to share that same gift with others. As we leave this morning, let us not forget what 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, okay, that, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is you, this speaking of you. He is a new creation. He, she, or is a new creation. The old has passed away. And we just heard about the old. Children of wrath struggling with the three prison guards, held captive. And then it says, Behold, the new has come. And we can't forget also Colossians 1.10 that tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Increase in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to leave you with a question. And then we're going to, we're going to have communion this morning. I think it's a good morning for that. Are we being the new creation? Are we walking in good works that Jesus Christ has prepared for us? This Christmas season, are you ready to give the gift of Jesus Christ? Are you ready on Christmas morning whenever you have your family Christmas to share the story of Jesus Christ. Read, read, the, read the story of his birth, but maybe even read 
the story of his death and resurrection. Are you ready to, we as a church, we have our first core value. The first one is bring people to Jesus. It's super simple. Are you ready to bring people to Jesus? This is a great time. People's minds and thoughts are on Jesus, even if they don't know him. So this Christmas season, give the gift of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are just amazed how you took us when we were corpses, when we were nothing. And gave us life. That you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be the gift that we could not give to ourselves, that we cannot give to others without your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that this Christmas open our eyes to people that need the gift of Jesus Christ. Open our eyes to people that are struggling with those first three verses in Ephesians chapter 2, that are still held captive by the world, by the devil and the flesh. God, help us to realize that we are in a battle against captivity to our sin, that what we once were and what we are now in Jesus Christ. So help us this Christmas to be focused on what is most important, what is eternally significant, and be able to share the hope that we have within. We say all this in Jesus' name.